As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey y'all, Torella here. So you probably know this about me already, but obviously I'm a huge true crime fan, just like you. And since we're basically the same person, I bet you've been wondering the same thing I've been wondering for some time now, which is how can I use my love for true crime for good? Well, I figured it out. September 25th is National Day of Remembrance for Murder Victims. And according to the nonprofit Parents of Missing Children, Over 14,000 people are murdered each year in the U.S., which is a murder about every 37 minutes. The impact of this loss is significant, creating waves and ripple effects for years to come in the lives of those that are left behind. In honor of September 25th, I've designed a simple t-shirt that says, We Remember. As fans of true crime, we can stand together and honor the people who have died by violence, as well as promote public awareness of the impact these crimes have on the world. 100% of the proceeds will be donated to parents of missing children to further their mission of supporting survivors of homicide victims and working to create a murder-free world. To get your shirt, visit bit.ly slash we remember 2019. That's bit.ly slash we remember 2019. And please take a moment on September 25th to remember those that we've lost. Welcome back. Welcome back. Part duh. Yes. Of a duh parter. (laughs) Really committed to that. Yep. I was. Okay. So, last episode, we got through basically the opening statements and first witness or so of the trial, and we're going to keep on keeping on. So, now we've got uh, more prosecution witnesses. James Honk... Oh. (laughs) (laughs) What was that supposed to be? supposed to be Hawkins, but I called him James Honkins. (laughs) Oops. James Hawkins and Anthony Pantano, I think. James Hawkins was working on a light fixture at a nearby restaurant when he saw Harris pull Cooper out of the car. He said he was fumbling through CPR, uh, like we talked about, and Hawkins moved him out of the way to start CPR properly. He said that Harris walked away from where they were during this time and that when he started CPR, he knew that Cooper had passed away immediately. The words that he used on the stand were a little strange. He said, 
he was straight up dead. I'm like, this is a child. Yeah, it was it was weird. I mean, I guess he's trying to say like there was no question about it. It was just such a weird way to say it. I don't know. Just yeah, you know, I don't like that semantics. James Hawkins is not going to be the only witness, though, to state that Ross did not stay with Cooper at the scene and that it seemed unusual. Anthony Pantano, who worked with James Hawkins, was up next, and he testified that he saw Harris trying frantically to unbuckle Cooper from his car seat when he pulled into the shopping center before attempting CPR. His versions of events, his version of events lined up with James Hawkins, with his added detail of Harris's frantic attempts to remove Cooper from the car, and Harris saying, I've left him in the car, I left him there. And he, he says he said that several times. Kind of, I guess, in disbelief if he's just saying it over and right. over. Um, that's speculation, but still. Then some teachers from the Little Apron Academy testified They said that Cooper was a fun-loving 22-month-old child who was learning to speak in sentences and becoming more and more aware of his surroundings and becoming more interactive. One teacher said that the day before he died, he woke up from nap and told her, I need a diaper. And that kind of stuff, it's just like, I remember that phase, you know, when, when Ben started saying stuff like that. Hey, Mom, come change my diaper. <laughs> yes. and, you know, just like they're starting to get so much more interactive and telling you what they want and all those kind of things. It's just like it's a really, really fun phase. They testified that Ross was a loving and attentive father and typically dropped Cooper off between 830 and 845 on the days that he brought Cooper to daycare. If he was going to be late, he usually called to let them know. On this day, he left Chick-fil-A later than usual, but he didn't call to notify them that he'd be dropping Cooper off late. Kiata Patrick said that he had always taken a photo with Cooper when he dropped him off at daycare, but about two weeks before Cooper's death, she noticed that he'd stopped taking the photos. When she asked why, he said Cooper was getting too old for that. So... I mean, the way they made it sound was that every single time he dropped him off, he took a picture with him. I don't know if he then posted that to social media or, like, what he did with it, but apparently he took a picture of him every day. She says two weeks before he quit doing it, and he just said, well, he's getting too old for that. So, I mean, that definitely shows that he had deviated from his normal routine that day and maybe leading up to that day with the whole not taking the pictures anymore like he normally did. It could be inferred that maybe he stopped taking the pictures with Cooper because he wasn't interested in continuing a relationship with him. Did he know something was going to happen? Well, and for him to say he was too old for that, I mean, it's not like he was still doing it when he was in seventh grade. Yeah. He's 22 months old. Yeah. It's, I, I don't mean, know. I don't know. It sounds fine to me, you know? Yeah. I still take like a billion pictures of Ben and he's like 97 months old. <laughs> Just kidding. But still. How many months old are you? Hmm. That is a rude question. <laughs> Very rude question. Um, yeah, so the prosecution, I think, honestly, if there's anything that they show that says maybe he could have been planning it, that would probably be it. And that's incredibly circumstantial. That's like, could it or could it not? Maybe he just decided... He just didn't feel like it anymore. Like, it was a whole thing. 
yeah. don't know. I don't know. But, you know, at this point... Did he know something the teachers didn't? There's no point in taking the pictures anymore? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Kilgore's cross-examination of the teachers sought to show that they saw Ross interact with Cooper on a very regular basis, and from that interaction, they never saw anything that would indicate a bad relationship, neglect, or abuse on Ross's part. They testified that he seemed like he loved his son very much. Prosecutor Boring came back with using that same testimony to show that Ross Harris was skilled at portraying an image of, his, of himself publicly. He asked if they also knew that he was unfaithful to his wife, to which they said they did not. He asked if knowing that would be in direct conflict with what they knew Ross Harris's character to be. Would that be like night and day? And they agreed. Kilgore responded to this by saying, well, of course they didn't know about his infidelity because that would be unusual for him to tell them about that. Many families that use their services have family issues that they don't tell the daycare workers about. He asked, what Ross Harris portrayed to you was what you knew to be true over the course of a year and a half, seeing him interact with Cooper, which was that you knew that he loved Cooper. Isn't that true? And the teacher agreed. So... Boring got the last word here with only one question in response to this. Did he also act like he loved his wife? And the response was yes. So that's another point for the prosecution. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I see what the defense was doing. They're saying this isn't something you just... It's not just that he's telling you he's this way or whatever. But he's showing you're it. seeing that interaction over the course of the year. And that's where you're building your idea of their relationship but basically what boring did i think with that one question what he did was made any character witness who's going to testify in the positive for ross's character useless Mm -hmm. in that i think in that one move because they're presumably doing so because they've known him or have seen him in enough situations to give an assessment of his character. So while he appears to love his son, there's no evidence whatsoever to indicate otherwise. He also appeared to love his wife. So we have mountains of evidence to show that wasn't really the case. So yeah, you thought you knew him. You thought he loved Cooper. He seems that way, but he can put on an act in front of you and what the prosecutor is saying is that he had just malice in his heart and this child was the only thing standing in the way of what he truly wanted. Which was the child-free life. Yeah. Complete sexual freedom. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason Maybe. that everybody wants to have sex with him. I don't get it. Alex Hall was called by the prosecution and so remember Ross went to lunch the day that this happened And he was also supposed to go to the movie that night. So he, Alex was one of the friends he went to lunch with and who was also going to go to the movie that night. Alex also happened to be the person that sent the child-free Reddit link to Ross. So if you're not familiar with Reddit, it's a forum or message board or whatever. And so Reddit's the main site. And then there's all these subreddits. So when you hear the testimony that I'm going to, that I play in here, you'll hear them say r slash child free and that's the subreddit for child free so it's like a whole it's different topics that reddit devotes 
threads to, I guess. So there's a whole group and it's child free. And actually, I'm going to go to it right now because, and this is another thing that like, God, if anything ever happens, like I access the child free Reddit now, probably a hundred times more than Ross ever did. Not looking good. Not looking good for you at all. So this says, Discussion and links of interest to child-free individuals. Child-free refers to those who do not have and do not ever want children, whether biological, adopted, or otherwise. So basically all it is is people who just don't ever want to have kids. I think initially what the prosecution wanted to prove is that this was basically some kind of like dark web thing that he was going to of like, people who are like, you should kill your kids because you shouldn't have kids. Like, live a child-free life. Get rid of your kids or whatever. And that's not what it is. It's just a group of people who just don't ever want to have kids. Some of them, it's because they don't want to add to the biomass and, like, all these things. They have all these reasons why they don't think you should have kids or whatever. But it's just, there's just different threads on it. Like, each post is just a topic and people can comment on it and it's just people discussing stuff like that so you know they made this big deal about the fact that Ross sought out posts the way that they made it sound and then what they said especially at the probable cause hearing in the in their opening statement they say that he was going to sites that advocated living a child-free lifestyle stuff like that and they're pointing to that as possible motive but when they question Alex Hall on this because of his, Ross's actual involvement with the website, the way that it actually originated, and the way that Ross responded when Alex told him that it existed, they breeze past it. They literally ask him one question, and they move on. They don't, they don't explore this at all. That's weird. Because it isn't actually a thing. <laughs> like, it isn't a thing. So the defense took that opportunity to show exactly how misleading the idea of Ross visiting the child-free Reddit really was as far as showing any intention to murder Cooper. So on this, uh, Mr. Hall, it says you on that day said, so our, is that backslash? Yeah. Okay, child-free exists. And then you said it's the, our atheism of not having kids. Right? Sure, yeah. Did you have kids at the time? Okay. And that right there where you said, are child-free, that's not a web link or anything like that, right? It's, it's making reference to a part of that website. Right. So you would actually have to go to it independently and not click on this, correct? Yes. Yep. And uh, Mr. Harris's uh, response at that point was grossness. Yep. Now, do you know, did he ever say or make any statements to you about whether he actually went to that website or did anything or looked on it or clicked on any links? No, nope, I don't recall that. Do you even recall that conversation? Not at all. Okay. We put it out there for, for the fellows to see. Yep. At 2.02 in the afternoon. Yep. And you give a little explanation. You say it's the R uh, backslash, and that's Reddit. Mm hmm Atheism of not having kids. Mm hmm Yep. And, um, I mean... You don't subscribe to that philosophy, do you, of, of uh, people never to have children? No, I, no. I was, I was making fun of it in that comment. So, okay. Because it's ridiculous. The way they go about it is ridiculous. Yeah. Right. 
not not having kids is a personal decision, but like railing against people who have kids or not. You agree that you um, you found this child free on the uh, face page of Reddit, yep. on the homepage of Reddit. Yep. And you put it out there in the chat. Mm -hmm. And did you see what Ross's response was? Yeah, he wasn't for it. He wasn't for it, was he? No. In fact, his response was grossness. Yep. You've never, um, you've never heard Ross subscribe to Living Child Free, have you? No. Nope. You've never known him to join any group subscribing to a philosophy of Living Child Free, have you? No. Nope. But within 20 seconds of you putting that out there on the chat, he responded, grossness. Okay. Alex testified that a detective did ask him about this exchange or that he believes someone did, although it had been two years since he'd been interviewed. He testified that the prosecution never asked him about it since his initial interview. But what the defense is trying to show is one of two things. Either that, I think when Kilgore asked that question, he thought nobody had asked him about it. So I think he was trying to be like, see, they didn't even try to look for any other possible motive for him going to that site or whatever, or going to that thread or subreddit. I don't, I like vaguely know about Reddit, so I'm probably sound like an old lady trying to talk about it. I just downloaded the Reddit app because one of my best friends is all about some Reddit and I still don't fucking understand it. I don't get it. I downloaded it too because I heard it's a really good place to like find new true crime podcasts and stuff like people post a lot about it and so I was like well shit I'll download it I'm trying to find stuff and it's like I have such a hard time navigating it and I don't know where to begin or I'm sure I could go down this like rabbit hole of like yeah. couldn't stop once I got into it but I don't once you get figure it. it out I feel like it's almost like shopping for clothes at like fucking TJ Maxx or Goodwill There's like too much you have to wade through all the shit yes. to get to something that you want because there's so many comments. Like, you have to go through all the random fucking comments to get to a post or a comment that is useful, I feel like. Exactly. Yeah. So, I don't 100% get it if I'm not using the right lingo. Sorry. But they wanted to show either that... Because the the detectives knew that he'd visited this. They had his computer and all that, right? They have his phone. Initially, they believed that he was the person who was, he was searching this out, basically. And in the probable cause hearing, that's how they, that's what they alleged. But now that we get to actual trial, we find out Alex sent him the link and he was like, that's so stupid, basically. Okay, so that's, I don't even know why the prosecution brought that up in the opening statement. Because it actually hurts their case, right? It shows that they were wrong about that. But they brought it up anyway. Then the other side of that is, okay, well, now Alex says, I think maybe somebody did question me about it or that I talked to somebody about it initially. And so they say, well, then, but nobody has asked you to, asked you about it again since then, right? And he's like, no, I don't think so. Um, then Boring gets back up and says, well, to be fair, to be fair, you didn't, Nobody's asked you about it since then because you've met with the defense a few times and we've tried to meet with you and it's well within your right to do this, but you've decided not to respond to us. And he's like, right. And so they were like, well, 
then or boring says if we if we tried to ask you about it we wouldn't have been able to right and he's like right like I'm not talking to you guys so it's I feel like that was kind of a non you know those things cancel each other out but I think it looks really bad I, I feel like a lot of the stuff that comes up the prosecution looks like they're trying to build a misleading case and they're kind of getting caught in all these little, not necessarily lies, but almost, you know, it's like, like untruths. <laughs> yeah, it's it's lying by omission. It's saying he visited a child free website, but we're not going to give you the context of that. And we're and we're telling you that he's seeking these kind of things out. And then when they actually go through, when the defense goes through and questions the detectives about what specific posts he did interact with on those sites, none of them had anything to do with living. Like, these people are just talking about stuff. It's not every post is about not having kids. So there are other posts about other things. And just because it's in a certain thread, like apparently Reddit, again, I don't get it, but Apparently, you can go to reddit.com and there's different, maybe like trending topics. I don't know. So you may end up posting on a thread that you don't necessarily or a topic that you don't necessarily follow or visit often, but it might just be like on the homepage and that's how you come across it. So he did, in fact, respond to a couple of things on the child-free thing, post, topic, whatever, subreddit, but... They weren't related to not having kids. Mm -hmm. So, again, that's misleading. Well, yeah, it's like how reality TV shows, yes. they just cut and paste and clip and, like, all these things to try to make it look like something that didn't happen happened. And right. in a trial, that's so unethical. And yeah. And just, it's just Terrifying. awful. Yeah. Because what happens to everybody... I mean, that's, it's dangerous is what it is. Mm -hmm. So we have detective Phil Stoddard. So he's the, he's the lead detective. He's the person, he's the hell person who put together the like warrants for the probable cause and all those kind of things. He testified that upon arrival on scene, uh, the day of the incident, he could smell a strong foul odor if you guys listen to his testimony the way that he pronounces the word odor oh, no. it's like order almost he's like yeah it was a foul it was a strong order like it was just like a foul order or order or i don't even know how you, it's it's Where the weirdest i know it's the weirdest fucking thing but he says he smells this odor when he got into the car there were other witnesses at the police department that testified to that as well. There were other witnesses with the police department that testified to that as well. But what's really interesting about that is it was two other men who testified to this odor. They did not include this in their written report the day of Cooper's death. So both of them actually wrote it as an addendum to their reports about a year after Cooper's death. When asked about this on the stand, both officers stated that they had, in fact, smelled the odor. They both forgot to write it in their reports. And in casual discussion about the case at the office with Detective Stoddard, the odor 
came up naturally in conversation. And when it did, that prompted them, not started telling them to do this, their memory of this odor prompted them to then remember that they had not included it in their initial report and to go ahead and write an addendum to put the odor in it. Hmm. A year later. That's two men that work with Stoddard. A little stupid. And the only reason that they remembered it was because of their conversation with Stoddard. No. It's interesting. It doesn't mean that it's not true. Well, but it doesn't look good. It does not look good. Because if it was that strong and overpowering, so what they're saying is, what Stoddard is saying, and these two men in their addendums, are saying that there's no possible way that Ross got into his car and did not know that Cooper was in the car in that moment. That he could not have driven a mile down the road without already knowing Cooper was in the car because the smell was overpowering that he would have gotten in the car and it would have hit him in the face. The way that Detective Stoddard described it was he called it the smell of death. As soon as he got in the car, he could smell decomposition. So the defense brought on somebody who's an expert in, I I guess this is another maybe pathologist or a medical examiner somebody, but they brought on somebody who testified that the smell of decomposition doesn't really kick in until about 24 hours at least after. Like yeah, you're gonna, not... I just personally, when you started saying that, I thought seven hours in on a hot day, but that's a little soon because he he was not passed away from the beginning of the seven hours. Right. I don't know how long it took. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll probably get into that or we'll find out, but... Yeah, they they said that probably by the time he would have thrown the light bulbs in. He would have already been dead, but there's really not much. Well, I guess I'm going to qualify that with, I didn't look, I didn't dig too deep into those very specifics just because it's, it's hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and the only reason why I'm discussing it is because it's pertinent to this. It, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and what the other witnesses at the scene said, there were several that said they could smell the wet diaper because in the autopsy, when they removed his diaper, it was wet. Um, and that will, I mean, I've done that by accident before. Like we've been out somewhere. I've changed one of the kids diapers in the back of the car. And then I'm like, you know, I'll throw it away when we get wherever we're going. And then I forget. And then like, you know, later I go to get back in the car and I'm like, ugh, there's a wet diaper back there. I can smell it. Um, sometimes, but sometimes I find it later, you know, like you never know. But, um, there were a few people that said they could smell the diaper, but not, not this decomposition smell that Stoddard said was very strong. And then these other two detectives or officers or whatever, who, who are, are saying now that it was overpowering, but at the time it was unremarkable enough to forget it in their report. Mm-hmm. It seems to me. So yeah. And the, the guy who testified about, and I cannot remember if he was a medical examiner, or like pathologist or whatever, but he said that what causes the smell is bacteria. And that if Cooper had been like an overweight adult, 
Um, he said a lot of times the the fat will smell, but he didn't have a lot of body fat on him. So he said the decomposing fat. Okay. Yeah. So he said that um, you there wouldn't have been anything to smell in that case, and there are actually I mean it's it's a really really sad reality, but there's a lot there's several cases of this kind of thing happening. And many of them, these people who accidentally forgot their kid in the car, would go and, like, run errands. I mean, it's it makes you sick to your stomach to think, like... They've been sitting in the car with their... With their dead child in the back seat, and they didn't know it. And they go to the fucking bank, and they go to the post office, and they go to the dry club. I mean, all these things. And then... And according to, I'm sure... You know, if they go through a drive-thru or something, the people are thinking, oh, that it's just an asleep child or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. I mean, it's horrible, but they don't smell anything. The, some of them had their kids in the car with them for hours, and they didn't know. And they were dead. I don't know if I buy that decom- decom- decomposition smell. Right. It. It's just very suspicious that it was added in later. I feel like if it was that strong, why would you not have mentioned it in the written report? Mm -hmm. And then another thing that kind of was, I don't know, difficult for the defense was that one of them, one of the officers who, you know, made this addendum or whatever, he wanted to question, Kilgore wanted to question him more on that. Why did you write it in later and all these things? And they ruled that he couldn't ask him any questions about his report. Why? I don't know. And I'm like, but it's part of the fucking police file. Why would it not? Why would that not be admissible? It's the, I mean, that kind of thing. I know there's so much case law that goes into stuff. It's confusing for people. But it seems like it was okay for them to bring it up for the prosecution, but it was not okay for the defense to question it when I thought that was the entire point of a fucking trial. Mm hmm. Exactly. You go round and round. Like yeah. You have your shot, then they have their shot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like they're not allowed to ask about it. It so. just seems like it's set up to be the prosecution's case, you know, the prosecution's trial. I think sometimes it is. And this judge, apparently, like the Breakdown podcast went through it a lot, but they talked about the a little bit of the politics behind everything. So, like, this judge used to be a prosecutor in this county, so they said that she was one of the more prosecutor-friendly judges. And literally any time, I mean, again, I haven't watched every minute of this entire trial. It was like six weeks long or something. But any time the prosecution objected, it seemed like it was sustained. And any time the defense objected, it was overruled. Like all the ones that I saw. I can't think of any objection. The only thing that I saw her really rule in the defense's favor was the change of venue. Wow. But everything else seemed... Not an unbiased... Yeah, it seemed a little seemed a little bit in the prosecution's favor there. Yep. Stoddard also testified that he believed that Ross would have absolutely seen Cooper in the back seat when he was driving to work, when he was backing into his parking spot, and when he was throwing the light bulbs in the car after lunch... And getting into his car, leaving work. There, So there's a video. Home Depot corporate had surveillance that was actually working 
which I feel like never happens. Yeah. Yeah. So they did provide that to the police and the police watched that video. And in the probable cause hearing, remember they said that Ross went to his car and that's what made me for sure know that I remembered this case happening like as it happened, because I do remember hearing about a guy who left his kid in the car while he was at work. And then I remember hearing that he had gone out to his car at lunch to like, my understanding was to get something out of his car. Or something and like you would that. think upon hearing the, that case, like, Oh, that's when he found him. Yeah. And he said, he still didn't find him and he still didn't know. And he didn't find him until after work. And I was like, well, he obviously did it on purpose then. Like there's no fucking way he went back to his car. Didn't see his kid. So now we see the video. The car is, has been backed into the spot and Cooper's in a rear facing car seat. So he's facing the back of the car. Ross walks up and he opens the driver's side door and he tosses the light bulbs in and he shuts the door. So what Detective Stoddard says is he's in there. He's in the frame. There's nothing between him and that car seat. There's nothing obstructing his view of that car seat. So there's no reason he doesn't see it in that moment. But I'll link to the video um, if anybody wants to watch it. But as he leans in, he doesn't even lean. He, he opens that car door. And just puts his arm in, right? He just sticks his arm in. His head, his chin is still above the car frame. Like he doesn't ever come in inside the car. Now, I don't know how tinted his windows were or anything like that. Um, they said the car seat was in the middle. So it would have been in the middle of the back seat and it's facing the back seat. Is this a parking lot or a parking garage? Parking lot. Yeah. And he's parked next to, there's not actually a car on the other side of him on one side. And then on the other side, it's like the grass. Oh, like a median of whatever. Yeah. It's not another parking spot. So there's that. And then they also say that in that same video, he closes the door, he walks away and as he's walking towards the building, he gets his phone out and he's looking down. He's on his phone. He's probably sending a dick pic. If I can make it a guess. <laughs> and then somebody passes him walking towards the direction of his car. He's walking towards the building and they say he stops and he looks over his shoulder and he waits for them to pass his car and then he keeps going. So he's making sure that they don't see it. Was it a female though? Because he could have been just checking her out. That's true. He could have been checking her out. Actually, when you watch the video, people do pass him and he does not look up from his phone. Hmm. He doesn't look up. That's weird. It happens twice. But in the probable cause hearing and in the in his testimony, he says that he thinks that he's making sure that he's not getting caught right then. But there's no evidence to show that he even looks at it. And there's no evidence to show that he's looking any anywhere else. Like he's his his face is not inside that car at that moment. Right. So, I mean, I remember hearing about it, you know, what came out in the media at the time and I thought this guy is guilty as hell. Like there's no way he didn't see his kid. He goes to his car to get something out of it and you're telling me you don't see your kid. But depending on what I'm putting in my car, I would do the same thing. Exactly. You don't even pay attention, you just chuck it in. Yeah. And you go on about your your business. Mm -hmm. So it's 
it, it's again, it's just a lot of those. But it, it just seems like when that kind of stuff comes out that the jury would see that as maybe chipping away at the credibility of the investigation. I mean, you would just think that that's going to that they would be like, hang on a second. Yeah, how can we trust everything because these are little half-truths or whatever? Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't seem like it adds up. Um, another thing in Detective Stoddard's testimony is that he talks about all these, you know, the sexting and all this stuff um, a lot and how much. And, and y'all, there is so much. If you listen to anything about this case, like, like anything else, or if you listen to the breakdown podcast or whatever, I mean, they can't help but put all this information in because it's, it's the crux of the prosecution's entire case. There is question after question after everybody that they talk to anybody that he'd ever known or anything like that. The teachers, all these people, they're asking them, it feels like a hundred questions. And did you know that he was sexting with, you know, this girl or that girl? Did you know that he was meeting with people to, you know, set up um, encounters to have fellatio performed on him in a park or a parking lot or meeting at hotels? Did you know that I mean, they're just like really, really hitting. Um, they're reading some of these text messages to these people. Did you know that he sent this message to this person? I mean, it's over and over and over and over and over. And part of the charges are the sending the sexual information to minors. Like, I get that. But every single person that they talked to, they hit hard. Did you know that he was talking like this. Did you know that he was doing this? Did you? And it's just like, it's filthy, filthy messages and just really, really filthy stuff. And they're just like hammering it, hammering it with every single person. And I just, I didn't think I needed to do that here. (laughs) So I'm not, cause it's just so much. And it's just like, you feel like you want to take a shower after. Um, and Ross Harris is a sleazy piece of shit. I mean, he's, that's, that's gross stuff. And apparently the age of consent in Georgia is 16. Oh. To have sex. Oh. But you may not receive sexual messages until, until you're, you're 18. 18. So there's one of these girls that he he says, or they learned through communications, and I guess she says, they did actually sleep together. And he said, she was 17 at the time, and he said, well, you're 17, that's legal. He didn't care. Um, it's just the messages back and forth. Yeah, he's not charged for their sexual encounter. He's That's charged weird. for sending stuff. Isn't That's that weird? weird? Yeah. it's It seems like they... I mean, I'd rather them raise the age of consent. I'd rather them not lower the age to receive the material. Right. No, I think But I it agree. seems like they'd match. Like, yeah. if you're old enough to have sex, then you're... I mean... I'm guessing if you've had sex, you've probably seen a dick. You would think. Maybe you closed your eyes. I don't know. But, like, yeah, I'd just rather see that at that age come up, the consent age then. Because mm-hmm. if you can't see a picture of it or get a picture of it or send a picture of your stuff to somebody else, mm-hmm. then maybe you're not ready to have sex at all. For the thing. Yeah. Sure. It just seems weird that it doesn't match. No. Um, But they... You know, they're harping on these text messages, all this stuff. They're, they're, the detectives are asking, you know, questions about these things, bringing these things up. But 
at the probable cause hearing, Detective Stoddard, again, you know, testified in graphic detail about all these things, but he denied any text messages between Ross and Leanna on that same day. And we know that he texted Leanna and asked at 3.16 p.m., when are you picking up my buddy? So, but in the probable cause hearing, this is not this trial, he said on the stand that Ross didn't send messages to Leanna. So, Boring said, did the defendant ever mention getting a text from his wife that afternoon? Stoddard, no. Does his phone reflect anything about texts from his wife? Stoddard, no. Then Kilgore says, have you seen the text Ross sent Leanna at 3.16 p.m. that day? Stoddard says, no. Kilgore says, you've had his phone, but you haven't seen that? Stoddard says, no. The last actual text message was back in May. So, I don't know if what he means is maybe it was in an app. He was using a messaging app that they didn't access. I have a hard time believing that if they found his hidden one. I mean, he probably didn't hide it all that well. But if they've got forensic, like, digital people working on this. Like, he wouldn't have hidden a text message from his wife or to his wife better right. than he hid. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I, I mean, it's just like, what, what is that? It sounds like a lie to me. Yeah, what is that? It doesn't make any sense. And Kilgore also talked to Leanna about it when she was on the stand. And she said, what, or he said, what did you specifically text to Ross that morning? And Leanna is reading from the report of the text messages, like, on the phone. And she says, get to work, okay? And he responded, yep, yep. Then he said, we're going to the early movie, so I should be home close to 7. An hour and a half later, I responded, okay. At 3.16, he asked me, when are you getting my buddy? I texted back about 45 minutes later and said, call me. Are you not going home first? I think that's when we had the phone conversation about who would be the best person to pick up Cooper that day, and it was decided I would pick him up. Again, they're talking about all the stuff, and it's not jogging his memory that his kid's in the car. He legit either, he legit thought he dropped Cooper off, or he's really playing it up, like really playing it up. So there are conversations, though, again, like if you look at that, you've got the two options. Either he legit thought he dropped him off or it proves that I don't I, well, I don't think it could prove that he knew it, but it would show that he's acting, I guess. But if you're investigating this and you're trying to determine if there was intent or not, as a detective, I feel like you would look at that and say, he's got to be a really, really, really particular brand of psychopath to have this kind of conversation knowing full well his son is dead in the backseat of his car. So to me, that would point to Maybe he didn't know it was it happened. Right. But they don't Stoddard at the probable cause hearing says he didn't even he wasn't even aware of this. He had no idea it happened. Would they not have taken Leanna's phone if they thought she was a suspect? Would they not have looked through her phone too to see if I would think that they would have definitely she was done researching that. St- they said they knew that she was researching hot car deaths. Like so why didn't they see any of the messages on her phone either? Right. It, it just, what were they doing? What were they looking for? They weren't looking for stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It just, it doesn't look good. 
Leanna Taylor testified for the defense. So, and in the opening statement, Kilgore said, if the defense or if the prosecution doesn't call her, we will. And they said, she knows that he didn't do it on purpose. And she's divorced him now. She filed for divorce in December of 2016, I believe. And it, by that time, I think it was already final because she, she got on the, the stand as Leanna Taylor. So, but she, pros, or she, she testified for the defense. And obviously, she's probably got some strong feelings about Ross at this point because when, when they had that interaction together in the interview room that was recorded, she didn't know about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. She had no idea that he'd sent like a hundred dick pics that day at work. Like none of that stuff. So she's trying to be supportive and all these things then, but she had no idea all this shit was about to come out. And she faced that severe scrutiny by police and the public in the months and years following Cooper's death. And it was alleged by police, mainly Detective Stoddard, that Leanna played a role in the planning of Cooper's death. And that was due to those two comments that she made the day that Cooper died that we talked about, you know, the did you say too much and immediately yeah left him in the car left him in the car so the her testifying here is kind of her chance to explain some of those things and also to add some character I guess you know to Ross which again we know prosecutor boring kind of nip that in the bud yeah pretty effectively he let all the air out of those tires yeah But I thought one interesting thing about Leanna is that she actually listens to true crime, true crime podcasts. She, so I first heard about this case when I listened to that sworn episode, um, or like it brought it back up to me, I guess. And they had two or three episodes on it, maybe. Well, she actually heard those episodes because she listened to that podcast already and she reached out to them and said that she wanted to do an interview because the prosecutor said at one point that, um, that he really felt like it was his duty to, you know, speak for Cooper and, uh, get justice for Cooper because Cooper didn't have anybody in the courtroom for him that day. Yeah. So it was, it's his job, you know, and she said that that really resonated with her and it was never her intent to not be there for Cooper, but, you know, this was all, I don't remember exactly what all she said, but she reached out to them. She wanted to do an interview and I just thought it was interesting because she already listened to that kind of stuff. So in 2014, I don't, that may have been the year that serial dropped. I don't remember when it was, but it's. I don't, true crime podcasts are not what they are now, Mm -mm. then. So I don't know. Maybe she watched Forensic Files and stuff on the ID channel. But um, we know now that she listens to that kind of stuff. So I also feel like, you know, people who listen to this kind of thing. Do research on it. Well, and our minds go there. So if, like, that day that I went to go pick up my son, so I meet my mother-in-law kind of at a halfway point uh, when she keeps the kids. And at this time, 
I don't, Jesse wasn't born yet. I may have still been pregnant, but, um, I went to pick them up or pick Ben up and my mother-in-law's car was in the parking lot, but I didn't see her or my son. They were not in the car. The car was running and the driver's side door was left open and her purse was still inside and the car's running and I don't see them anywhere. And I was like, they've been abducted. Like immediately I was positive. My son had been abducted. I think I started sweating. I felt like I was going to have a panic attack. I was freaking out. I'm looking around everywhere. And I saw a guy kind of walking like in a wooded area, kind of off this parking lot, walking his dog. And I was like, I'm gonna fucking kill this guy. Cause then I was like, did he do it? Did he take my kid? Like, oh my gosh, like who is this guy? Innocent man just walking, <laughs> just his, walking dog. his damn dog. But immediately I was like, my kid has been abducted. And then finally I hear something and I turn around and they're playing in the playground in the parking lot, like off of the parking lot. And Cheryl had just forgotten to close her door. Like that's all there was to it. But a normal person's response probably would have been like, let me go check the playground. Yeah. But I immediately was like, dear God, it's happened. Like, cause I'm deathly afraid of that because I've watched too much of this shit and listened too much of this shit. Like I'm positive my kid's going to get abducted or like if Andrew's late, you know, at work, I'm like, he's dead. <laughs> Somebody killed him. He's dead. Like, you know, it's just our minds kind of go there. I don't know. Well, and that's what, because when I was saying that we research things too, like if I hear about a case. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I would Google it. Mm-hmm. I would Google all kinds of things. Yep. And so we've said it before and we'll say it all day long. To Lord blue in the face, it would implicate us in. Big time. Any kind of trial or yeah. case or whatever. Like things are not looking good if somebody's pulling up my history. Yeah. History, so. Exactly. And. When she was being interviewed that day at the police department, this video wasn't released initially. You know, during the probable cause hearing, they certainly weren't going to show that. But what came out, and they did show this in, in this trial, was that the detective was asking her, why did you think an, immediately that he left Cooper in the car? And she said, well, there were all, you know, at that point, the governor of Georgia was doing a really big push about leaving kids in hot cars because the statistics had jumped from the year before. They'd almost tripled the cases. So they were doing a big push. And the governor did say that they were going to make sure they were prosecuting more of these cases. But they had they'd been doing like a really big like PSA campaign of like trying to get it out there to make sure the parents are aware of the dangers of the stuff or whatever. And so she's like, you just, you hear about it on the news, you hear about other cases of it happening and it's scary. And she's like, I knew that he was supposed to be there. And now that we see those text messages back and forth, they were talking back and forth about who, who should pick Cooper up. So she knew that he didn't pick up Cooper early, that, he that Cooper wasn't with Ross because if Cooper was with Ross he would have said that he wouldn't have been like what time are you going to go pick him up like they they even had a phone conversation about this and it was just an hour or so before that so she knew for sure he should have been at the daycare she did also actually call her neighbor while she was at the daycare and asked her to go check the house to see if Ross had left him home 
So she also she ran that other possibility through other options. Yeah, but you know, none of that really came out in the probable cause, and the prosecutor really fucking hammered her about why had she not. Why had she not divorced Ross before this? Why had she let it go on so long, basically? And, like, if she really wasn't okay with all of this and if she really didn't have a problem with his promiscuity and all the stuff outside of her marriage and if she really didn't want Cooper dead, too, why... He didn't say exactly those words, but it seemed like what he was getting at. Why did she stay with him so long? And she's like... And she got pretty emotional on the stand, but she's like, I had a lot to process. I had a lot to process. I'm trying to grieve for my son. I've, I've, she's like, this man ruined my entire life. He took everything from me. He humiliated me. I just had to, had to get everything done in the time that I got it done in. You know, I'm just trying to put one foot in front of the other. She had to go find a job. She had to move States. Like, all these things that she was doing and, and like he's really making a big deal about why did she wait so long to divorce him? And I'm like, first of all, it's none of your fucking business. Like, Mm -hmm. but she also said that she wanted to know for sure that a lot of that stuff was true because when it came out in the probable cause hearing, they also were alleging that she was researching hot car deaths and that she probably had something to do with it. And she was like, I kind of didn't trust their evidence. I didn't know if it was true because I knew they were saying stuff about me that wasn't true. I I knew I didn't have anything to do with it. And they were alleging that. So I didn't know if it was true or not. Like, I don't blame her. And also, some of that stuff takes time. And and she said at one point, he's like, well, what if you, had you known that he was like sexting other women and all this stuff, what would you have done? She's like, I would have left him. We would have separated. And he's like, really? But you waited till December of 2016 to do it here. Are you are you saying that you didn't learn until right before you filed for divorce that he was actually carrying on actual relationships with other women? Um, I had a lot to process oh, yes, in a ma'am. very very short period of time. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly when I learned mm-hmm. what had happened. He was really fucking rude with her. And I just, I don't, yeah, that's none of his business. And it does not pertain to what they're, like, it just seems like he's being shitty just to be shitty. Yeah, exactly. And she also explained the, did you say too much comment? And she said that she was like, at that point, I couldn't understand why he would have been charged because I knew he didn't do it on purpose. So she was like, I was thinking, did you, were you talking and just said something that they were like, oh, that's not good? Like, were you just talking and talking and talking? You said something you shouldn't have said. Did you say something that made them feel suspicious of you? Like, you know, she's like, I know that it, you know, it didn't sound right. But at the time, I was just trying to understand why he, why he would even need to be charged. Like, I didn't understand what was going on at all. So... I mean, it's an unfortunate choice of words, mm-hmm. and it definitely didn't sound good. I mean, when I heard that initially, I was like, Ugh. are you serious? But also, if you, Detective Stoddard's point of view is, 
one of two things. Either Ross did all this on purpose so that he could have his child-free sexual exploration life or whatever. Or that Leanna somehow played a role in it. And if she did play a role in it, what's her gain? So that Ross can go hang out with his friends more and fuck whoever he wants. That's good for Leanna. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. So, I feel like... I feel like the prosecution missed the point. I feel like, like, I understand what they're trying to accomplish. They needed to show that Ross could have had motives that nobody knew about, including his wife. That even though they were close to him, that he had this, like, darkness inside him that could be hidden from the entire world. I get that they needed to to show that if they want to prove malice. Because everybody's, everybody you ask, even the women he was having affairs with, the prosecution called these women as their witnesses... And they all were like, you know, yeah, we did this, we did that, he said this, he said that, he sent me this, I sent him that, whatever. But every single one of them was like, he loved his son more than anything. He spoke highly of his son. He never said a bad word about him. He never said that he didn't want to, like, like he loved spending time with him. He, if I was Leanna, I probably, I bet she threw up about all this. But he would send pictures of Cooper to these women he was having affairs with like a lot of these women knew a lot about Cooper. He would bring women into their home while Leanna was gone and have sex with them there and introduce some of them to Cooper. I think like that would piss me off. Like, are you fucking serious? You're sending pictures of our kid to these women that you're having an affair with. But, but they did, they knew about it. And it actually, I feel like that, it, it did not bolster the prosecution's case. It doesn't show, it doesn't prove motive. It, it doesn't prove that he wanted a life without Cooper. He was fine, seemed like he was fine to have sex with as many women as he wanted to and still be a dad. Like, seemed like he really enjoyed being a dad. And if he didn't, he certainly didn't tell any of these women that he didn't want to be a dad. Like, he was telling them all the opposite. And mm-hmm. so all of them were even saying that yeah and just maintaining that he loved his son more than anything yeah but like you said I mean that to me says a lot more about his feelings towards his wife exactly and towards the son yeah exactly so and he was you know looking for the new house in a school district he was actually planning a Disney cruise with his brother and their family too like family cruise he was earlier that week he was looking at passport prices for kids like trying to figure out how to get Cooper a passport like all these things so either he's not planning to murder his child or he's doing over the course of months this like genius level plan to throw the detectives off his scent Mm -hmm. like it's I don't know it's crazy of course they had to show that he was capable of the unthinkable and what everyone around him thought was impossible for him to be capable of doing to secure a conviction. But I mean, the the level that we're talking here is Israel keys level. Mm. They're saying that this guy is far beyond that of a husband who can't keep his dick in his pants. They're talking about that. You know, the quote that we have of Israel keys saying, there's no one who knows me. Or who has ever known me. Who knows anything about me really. That's. They're they're painting him as like. 
a loving father by day and basically a serial killer psychopath by night. Like, and Israel Keys had a history. He had things that he, other crimes that he had committed, like, he definitely had two sides of himself. Nobody could show that with this guy. It, but that's but that's what the prosecution is trying to get at. Like, it just doesn't... I think they're missing it. The route the prosecution took was to parade Ross's sexual deviance in front of the jury and berate the victim's mother, Leanna, for not knowing what Ross was doing and not leaving him soon enough. She She lost her child. Her child was killed. You don't rake her over the coals. No. Like, uh, they treated her like just a witness in the case and not as the victim's mother. And it was, I mean, it's brutal. If you if you go and listen to it, it's brutal. And I think it reminded me, or what I thought of, was the prosecutor in Pam Smart's case. And I know when he talked to her friend, he made her cry on the stand. I mean, mm-hmm. she cried. He was a little brutal, but it was more humane, like kind of the way he he brought it up. But with him, instead of listing out every single time Pam slept with Billy Flynn or met up with him or talked with him on the phone or whatever, he talked to her about things that she and Pam talked about, conversations that they'd had before and after Greg's death, um, all the like deep and intimate conversations that they had. The prosecution said... You know, he she's she was talking about how, you know, Pam talked with her about her intense grief and like all these things. And so he's like, yeah, yeah. Um, And so when you were having all these deep and intimate conversations and she tells you everything and you're her closest friend and confident and all that kind of stuff. How many times did she tell you she was having an affair with Bill Flynn? And when he said none. He's like, hmm, well, I thought you knew her pretty well. And and that's when she cried, and she's like, I didn't know her. Like, she was just going through a lot right then, and, like, all this stuff, but... I'm not going to say that that would be... Uh, that wouldn't be hard to hear or hard to kind of have to deal with, but not the same level of um, bulldogginess, you know? Right, like, like, it was subtle, but it was powerful mm-hmm. to get his point across to the jury. Like, what a, Stoddard is doing, or wh- whoever is doing... Uh, Kilgore. Boring. Boring? Yeah, Kilgore's the defense. God bless. Yeah. There are too many. I need a friggin' family tree. Yeah. Um, what Boring was doing was just being mean. Like, yeah. Just being really? mean. And, yeah, he, I mean, I, I think he was going for that effect, but instead he just, he used the depravity of Ross's sexual exploits to demonstrate his true character. And the result of that was... I mean, just hours and hours of undue questioning and testimony about really specific instances of sexual misconduct on the part of Ross Harris. It did happen. It was wrong. But I just think the way the state handled that re-victimized Leanna Harris. It almost made it like her point. I guess she's Taylor now. But or it almost made it her fault. Right. Like well, why didn't you leave him sooner? Why didn't you see the signs? Why didn't you blah, blah, blah? Yeah. It's like, yeah, she could have avoided all of this if she had just been smarter yeah. or if she had just done whatever. And they were, at that time, they were in counseling for, she had caught him looking at porn a couple times. Um, and he had he had confessed it to her and told her he had a problem with it. And 
they weren't sleeping together anymore. Like, they were having a lot of issues, and they were in counseling for it. Um, but, I mean, obviously, it just didn't. And, and I think that, I think that, I think that Ross Harris has an addiction. I mean, there's plenty of people that have sexual addictions. And what the prosecution was trying to say, and they, the defense brought on a, an expert about, uh, I don't know if he's like a psychologist or what, but he talked about the way the memory works and the mind and all those things and how, so what normally would happen is that normally Ross would drop Cooper off and then go to Chick-fil-A. He'd swing through Chick-fil-A and then he'd go to work. Mm -hmm. So the expert was like, that was a well-worn path for him. He kind of went into autopilot or it's possible to do that. And the things that can affect that are distraction, you know, like you not doing the things that you plan you're going to do. Distraction, fatigue can be one of them, you know, all these things. And or so, for me, I don't know, if I do one thing out of order. Yes. Oh, that's what he, that was the other thing, order. Like, yeah, if you do so, I've done that so many times I forget to wash my uh, conditioner out of my hair. Yeah. When I'm doing my makeup, there's a, it's silly, but there's a certain you know, routine that I have the order that I do it in. Yeah. And if I, for whatever reason, do my blush before my whatever, then I forget my fucking eyebrows. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like that. And it, what the prosecutor said to him was, well, but he chose to be distracted and he chose to be tired. If he was, yeah, if he was tired, it's because he was up late sexting women that weren't his wife and then he got up super early the next morning and he did it again i feel like that is very much being on a high horse and throwing stones in glass houses because people there are tons of reasons why you are distracted or fatigued or whatever and who are you to say when someone chooses or not doesn't choose you know like that's not fair yeah like replace that with work he was up late working or he was up late whatever again i think he's a piece of shit I don't like what he was doing, but like what this expert said was, no, I'm not going to say that he willfully chose to neglect his child. Like maybe it's possible that that had something to do with why this happened, why he forgot, why he lost awareness, but he did not at any time consider the consequences of that and said, if I stay up late tonight, send in 40 dick pics, and they're not going to send themselves. So well, he's got to no, do it. Are not, yeah. But if I stay up late tonight doing that, then tomorrow I'm going to be so tired that I'm going to forget my kid in the car and he's going to die. You know, he's like, he, that, that's not a conscious choice. He's not, nobody looks, you know, you stay up late. Sometimes I'll stay up super late on fucking Instagram, scrolling on Instagram. You just like get caught. The Parks and Rec hashtag, man. It gets me every time. I'll lose hours on that sucker. It's so funny. I used to stay up late all the time, and I know you did too, playing The Sims. Because Mrs. Tori Lance Bass is not going to have... I mean, when she was pregnant, what was... I couldn't leave her in her time of need. Oh, sure. No. I had to stay up late and see it through. You're not a monster. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it's like, if you're going to do stuff, if that caused you to fall asleep at the wheel, and God forbid you killed yourself or killed somebody else that's not okay. You shouldn't get in the car tired, you know, stuff like that. 
but again, that wasn't your intent either. Absolutely, yeah. Like, I, I think that's a big stretch. Like, I don't think that that's, I don't think you can, I don't think you can argue intent because he stayed up late doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing. Right. That's intent to cheat on his wife. That's intent to break his marriage apart. You could say that from that standpoint, he couldn't be like, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to hurt you. Well, he kept doing it. You kind of did mean to. Yeah. You did it over and over and over and over at any point, you know, see that line? You never should have crossed it. Like, it's right there. But I just, I don't think that that proves malice. I just don't. Um... According to Georgia law, there's just one degree of murder. They don't have the different degrees. So they do differentiate, though, between malice murder, which describes the intent to commit murder, and felony murder, which is murder that occurs during the commission of a felony. And in this case, they were able to charge him with that because the child neglect charge that they had is a felony. So so what they did was what they call, and I've, I guess I've seen this before, but I didn't realize there was a term for it. Charging in the alternative. And if you listen to the breakdown podcast, they go all through it. But basically what the prosecution did was they charged him with malice murder, which is if he meant to do it. But they also charged him with felony murder. So that can way... be charged with both? Mm-hmm. Oof. So that way, even if you didn't mean to do it, because what they were worried about is that the jury wasn't going to find malice. And if the jury didn't find malice, they didn't want no murder charge. So they give him, they give them the alternative charge, which is a felony murder, which means maybe he didn't mean to do it, but it happened while he was, you know, willfully committing child neglect. And the thing is, though, both of those, all murder charges in Georgia carry a life sentence. So you get charged with murder, it's a life sentence. You may get parole, it may be without... You could get the death penalty, but it's a life sentence. Then you've got your manslaughter. You've got voluntary manslaughter, which is the intentional commission of a murder while under the influence of a sudden and violent passion. So, like, what's that song by Blake Shelton, Old Red? <laughs> Caught my wife with another man and it cost me 99. Why did you have to say that fucking song? Uh, Sloan, it's in your head, too. I know it is. <laughs> <laughs> Got y'all that again. Is so rude. Yeah. So I'll get you back. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the sudden and intense passion that overcomes you and you murder somebody, you snap. Well, I've I have feelings of that since you mentioned old red. Oh shit. Yeah. We might you guys might hear a voluntary manslaughter. <laughs> if you're gonna hear it though, Tori would have to learn how to post an episode. Oh, Yahtzee. Voluntary manslaughter is punishable by one to 20 years in prison. Involuntary manslaughter is the unintentional killing of another person. And the killing must result from illegal or reckless conduct by the perpetrator. The maximum penalty for involuntary manslaughter is 10 years in prison. Involuntary manslaughter can also be a misdemeanor. You can get, like, less than a year in prison for it, but there's certain circumstances that that has to meet. To me, involuntary manslaughter sounds like the right charge here because I don't find, I don't see any evidence that they presented that showed that he was planning this, that he knew Cooper was in the backseat when he went into work, 
that that he meant to do any of it. Um, and the felony murder. So what the prosecution was hoping is that if the jury met and said, I just, I don't think he meant to do it. I don't think, you know, if, if malice murder was the only charge, then, then he wouldn't get a murder conviction maybe, unless they'd, I guess, also charge him with involuntary manslaughter. But they give this felony murder so they can say, this doesn't mean he meant to do it, but it's, but this way you still get to punish him because right. this way you get to, you get to say, so he's got to pay for it though. And he gets a life sentence with it. So he ends up getting convicted of all eight charges, all of them. He got convicted of felony and malice murder. Oh my God. Which is also a little confusing to me because I didn't know you could, because they called it charging in the alternative. So it seems like an either or to me in that situation, but he got, he got a guilty verdict on both and he got a life sentence plus 36 years. Cause he got, he got charged for those sexual crimes too, oh. which he should have. Right. So that's where it is. I mean, it's in appeals, but he's been charged. Uh, Leanna Taylor has a new boyfriend Good for and her. she's living back in Alabama um, but I mean, she's got a lot to overcome and the, the prosecution after this case wrapped up finally pretty much cleared Leanna, but the detectives never had. All they'll say is that she's not part of an, they're not actively investigating her at this time. Oh, wow. They okay. won't fucking clear her. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I actually saw, and this was a couple years ago, but I saw this little boy, he's an 11 year old from Texas and he invented a device to prevent hot car deaths. And I saw this. Really? Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Um, it's a device that would sense if a child is left alone in the car. And he, so basically what it does is um, it's a device attached to a headrest or a car seat. And it would alert parents' phones and the police while blowing cold air on the child until help arrives. Oh, my God. That's yes. amazing. Mm-hmm. He's 11? 11. How did he... Does it say how he decided to do that? or? Well, it says up here, for an 11-year-old boy, he's unusually curious about big picture problems, his dad says, from natural disasters to civil rights. And he's always loved to tinker. That's why it wasn't a surprise when Bishop, after seeing an upsetting local news report about a six-month-old who died when left in a hot car, resolved Mm. to make sure something like that would never happen again. Wow. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's called Oasis. That's the device's name. Is it actually like it's just in talks right now? Well, this was from 2017, this article. Mm. It would be interesting... Supporters have donated upwards of $31,000 to an online fund to help secure a patent for the device. And that's the last thing that I see about it. So hopefully. So it says on the GoFundMe page that he did meet his goal. He wanted to raise $30,000 and he's got 46925 And they're not taking donations anymore. Um, he does have a TEDx talk and... It says that 
I mean, I think they're I think they're in the development stage. Like I think they've got the money they need and they're they're getting going on it. So we'll link to that too so you guys can check it out. But that's fucking genius. I know. That's amazing, amazing for an eleven year old. Super amazing. Wow. Yeah, so this is I mean, it's definitely something that again I I mean, we've talked about it. Like on the mixtape we've covered some of these cases and it's like I think I we did one a couple weeks ago and I said, How many of these do we have to do? Why do we have to do it? But until I listen to this and I listen to, um, her name is Jeanette Fennell. Um, she runs a website called kidsandcars.org. And their whole website is devoted to raising awareness about this kind of thing. They have a couple other things too, like people accidentally running over their kids, backing over their kids, that kind of thing too. Um, but she's actually working with um, the government to pass legislation that all new cars come equipped with a safety device that will alert you almost like the alert that you've left your keys in your ignition Mm -hmm. or your lights on or whatever. Um, so they're working on something like that too. But I mean, she says this can happen to anybody. It does not discriminate. It's not just awful parents. So in listening to this, what we are hoping is that, we all remove our ivory tower, you know, mentality. Because when I've heard about these before, I thought the same thing. How the fuck can you do that? You can't, you cannot forget your children. Mm -hmm. And now I've just added another thing of my list of things to keep me up at night and worry about that's going to happen. But like it can happen to anybody. So what Jeanette is saying is that if you look at this as, well, this guy did it on purpose and this could never happen to me you run that risk of closing yourself off from taking that extra step to make sure it doesn't happen. So if you look at this and say, that's tragic, it's horrible. I never want that to happen to me. And I'm going to just go ahead and say I'm human and I can forget stuff. Maybe we all add an extra step when we get out of the car because it can happen to animals too. Animals die this way too. Absolutely. So take an extra step and when you get out of your car, make sure you look in your back seat before you lock it or whatever. Right. Or get a device like Oasis if that becomes available. Right. Um, I've also seen it's kind of a cheeky, I don't know if cheeky is the right word, maybe sarcastic or shitty kind of way of, of um, reminding you. But there's this little, it's almost like a, um, like a gift tag or something, but somebody put it on the handle of their car and it's like, check your fucking backseat dipshit. And it's like, just look back there before you get out of this car, you know? Yeah, that's smart. I mean, yeah, because you could even do like an alert on your phone or something for like when you're supposed to get to work or whatever, like mm-hmm. maybe five minutes after you are supposed to get to work. Just go look. Have an alarm that says check your fucking backseat. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's just something too, like we talked about with the not necessarily order, but maybe just like um, to have a routine. Like if you start doing it and you make a habit of doing it, just check. Yeah. Then, then it will become that well-worn path and you'll remember to do it every time. Absolutely. And it's, it can absolutely not hurt. It can only help. Right. Like it can only save a life. So, um, and, and it's if, an extra five seconds. Exactly. If that, so if you guys have any ideas of anything, like maybe you have something that you do like a cool, you know, thing that you write or an like a trick or, or something. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it is, like post it and we'll put some together and just try to, you know, raise awareness about this stuff and give people some ideas because it's 
is definitely something that needs to stop. It needs to stop. Yeah. It's, it's unnecessary Mm -hmm. and you know, we're human. So what can we do to help prevent it? Because let's come together on this issue and try to combat it. Yeah, because I can't imagine there's any parent that wants that to happen to their child. I hope not. No. Yeah. So that's it. That's it. Thank you so much for always listening, and thank you for being a friend. Yep. We love you guys. Bye. Bye. Get in on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Queens Podcast and join our Facebook discussion group at Killer Queens Podcast where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s. If you want to submit a case to be covered on the show, visit www.killerqueenspodcast.com slash case submission and complete the form. If we cover the case, we'll even give you a shout out on the show. Killer Queens is researched, mixed, and mastered by our own damn selves. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. And our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Lilas! As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.